Hello, Fellowship Oshawa. My name is Jonathan Bryant, and I am the new church planning resident at Fellowship uh, Pickering. And it is my joy this morning to come and deliver the Word of God to you this morning. I am so excited as I have been able to meet a few of you, but not all of you. And uh, one day I hope to meet each and every one of you. As uh, we are, my family and I moved from the the States to Whitby, where in the next few, um, uh, I guess about a year or so, we plan to plant Fellowship Whitby. Uh, so we'll be your neighbors and we look to look forward to joining alongside of you sharing the gospel, and reaching our, our communities for Christ. Uh, this morning, I am going to be in Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 19. And I remember as a kid, I was watching a movie once, and there were these two men talking, and they asked each other, what is the meaning of life? I could have been more than uh, eight, eight or nine years old at the time. And I thought, you know, that's a good question. So I went and asked my dad. I said, Dad, what is the meaning of life? And he quoted Matthew twenty-two, thirty-seven, and 39. And he said, to love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. And we should love others as ourselves. And, you know, that has stuck with me. And over, <clears throat> over the, the, my life, there are several questions that I've asked myself. And they're important questions. And I'm sure we've all asked these important type of questions. And some have been uh, important. Some have been less important. A common question uh, that we get around my house is what what do you want to eat, and we always have an argument over that. But the question this morning I want us to ask is who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And as a Christian, I affirm that Jesus is the Son of God, and that He existed before the foundation of the world. He was never created, but came as a man to die for the sins of the world. He rose from the grave and after some time ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And one day he will come again to take his bride, the church, to be with him. Now that is the standard Christian response. It is branded on my heart and I pray that I always be faithful in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ because of what what Jesus has done for me. And this is the Christian understanding. But unfortunately, not everyone holds to this and when they think about Jesus. Uh, specifically, I'm thinking about those that are Jews and those that are Muslims. Uh, in these two different religions, they believe that Jesus was a factual person. Uh, the Jews... Uh, I'm not quite a hundred percent sure on their view of Jesus. They may have may think view him as a prophet, uh, but I know the Muslims they they view Jesus as a prophet. But we view Jesus as the Son of God, and that puts us in a different category. 
So when we think about Jesus and who he is, we think of him as the son of God, while others think of him as a righteous person or a uh, just a prophet. But this morning, we are going to look at that that question, who is Jesus? And we're going to look at Matthew 11 and find the answer. <clears throat> Excuse me. But before we go to Matthew 11, I want us to remember some context, some of the, the context that you've already traveled through as you've been looking through the book of Matthew. Specifically in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is instructing his his disciples to go and preach, to go and evangelize. And while they are out preaching in various places, Jesus himself is still going out and preaching and, and teaching. So this morning, let's first look at Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 1. And I'll read through verse 6. <clears throat> When Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples. And he said to them, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, we come to an interesting part of the scripture. So John sends his disciples, John is in prison at the moment, and he sends his disciples to ask, are you the one, are you the anointed one that is supposed to come and that that God has been talking about in his word? Are you him? Now, I find that question very interesting because isn't it John the Baptist that baptized Jesus? And when Jesus was brought out of the water, we see a very descriptive detail in Matthew chapter 3. And we see that as soon as he comes up, a dove descended upon uh, Jesus. And the voice of God said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Now, how does John experience that? And then... In Matthew chapter 11, he's questioning, is this really the anointed one, the anointed one that we have been waiting for? I mean, that would be a scene that I would, I know I would remember for the rest of my life. That would be something that, that just uh, changed the way I saw the world. So what happened between those uh between chapter 3 and chapter 11? Well, in Matthew chapter 4 verse 12, we see that John was arrested by Herod Antipas. And we 
look in we can look in Mark and Luke and get a broader picture of who John the Baptist is and more about his life and the events that took place. But one thing we know is that John was very faithful in preaching and he pro- preached against sin. And we know that Herod Antipas was listening to John and he heard about John. And the thing we need to know about Herod Antipas, uh, he stole his brother's wife, uh, which is adultery. And John was preaching against adultery. And John was faithful to preach against the sin that he saw that was around him. But he also talked about the coming Messiah. So when we get to chapter 11, after John had baptized Jesus, why is John um, contemplating Jesus? Why is he asking these questions? And one thing that we need to first realize is we don't really know. We don't really know what made John ask these questions. But we have several theories. And the one theory that I like, uh, because I see it consistent with Scripture, is that there's a few things we, we need to know. And first... John was expecting a Messiah to come, one that was going to overthrow the government, one that was going to reestablish the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of God. So when John is a prophet, he knew he was a prophet. He knew he was faithful in preaching the gospel, preaching to the people the need to repent in the coming Messiah. And so one one theory is is that John was expecting Jesus to come and to free him from his jail. Now we don't know uh, the timeline. We can assume about a year or so. So John has been in in jail for a year for preaching uh, about God, and I th- some think that he was expecting Jesus to come and and free him. But obviously, we know that God had a different plan for John's life. So, when we get to this point, uh, we need to understand about the Jewish culture and the Jewish audience. So, when we look at the book of Matthew, we need to look at a couple of things. One, Matthew is writing to the Jewish audience, and the Jews are expecting the Messiah to come as a military leader to take away their oppressors. Now we have the other gospel books, uh, Mark and Luke and John, and they're all written in different uh, a different view or different audiences. So Mark was written by John Mark, uh, the same John Mark who Paul didn't want to go on a missionary journey with him uh, because he abandoned him. But Barnabas uh, wanted to give him another shot, and John Mark would later uh, run into Peter, and Peter became one of his mentors. And based off of the stories and the understanding of what Peter had told John Mark, John Mark began to write, and he, he wrote the book of Mark, and that is primarily written to the Gentiles, mostly living in Rome. 
Luke was a contemporary of Paul's, uh, and he wrote to the Gentiles. Uh, John was one of the 12 disciples, and he wrote to the Jewish community. And Matthew, uh, we see, uh, sometimes referred as Levi, I believe, in the book of Mark. He is written, writing to the Jewish audience. Now, this is significant because the Jews, there is something that they understand that not everybody else understands. There is a cultural uh, understanding surrounding them. But one of the things that we see even today is that they deny the deity of Jesus. They deny. Now, there are some that do Uh, accept Jesus as the Son of God and believe exactly as we believe. But there is a understanding of of Jewish culture that we need to understand, and it directly applies to this passage. So, excuse me. So, as we see, John has been in prison for a long time, and John is thinking, why has Jesus not freed me? But in we, when we look in verse 4, we see Jesus giving six deeds to, his, to John's disciples and says, go and tell them. And this is my first point this morning is the deeds of Jesus point to his deity. So there are six deeds that we see. And the, out of these deeds, all six have been prophesied about the coming Christ. Uh, He says, one, to heal the blind. We see this in Isaiah 29, verse 18. We see that he is to heal the lame. We see this in Isaiah 35, verse 6. Heal the leper. We see this in Isaiah 53, verse 4. Heal the deaf, Isaiah 29, 18. Raising the dead, Isaiah 26, 18. Preaching the gospel to the poor, Isaiah 61, verse 1. Now, I'm not a gambler or no mathematician. I do not know anything uh, about odds or anything. And perhaps Brother Mike can can help me out sometime on, on, on math. But Six prophecies being fulfilled, especially like healing the blind, healing a leper, uh, healing the death. It is unlikely that even just a human being or any type of magic, any type of whatever can do this. It has to be the power of God. It has to be that God has, has... has healed and performed miracles to allow these things to happen. Now, here's the thing also. Jesus, not only, uh, uh, excuse me, Jesus not only fulfilled these six prophecies, but he fulfilled over 300 prophecies. Now, for one man to do that, I mean, the odds are stacked against. But it is important for us to know. Matthew specifically wrote these six down. 
But his audience is Jewish. Remember that. But I want us to look at a couple in depth. In his book, The Forgotten Jesus, author Robbie Gallaty, who is a pastor outside of Nashville, Tennessee, he wrote this book, The Forgotten Jesus, and listen to what he says. Israel believed God's Messiah would perform three specific miracles to validate his identity. He goes on to say that they were healing a leper, casting out a dumb demon, and healing a man born blind. Now looking at the six, we see two of them mentioned in those six. The only one that's missing missing is casting out the dumb demon. So this is what all the Jews believed that the coming Messiah would fulfill, healing a leper, casting out a dumb demon, and healing a man born blind. So these were considered messianic miracles. Now, one reason is we see that in Matthew, we see two of them already been, that have been mentioned. Yet, the, the healing or casting out a dumb demon has not been done. And largely is because it has not happened yet. Uh, if we look just a few uh, a chapter over in Matthew chapter 12, verse 22, we see this. Then a demon-oppressed man was blind and mute, was brought to him, and he healed him and said to the man, uh, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? So here we go. We see in, in Matthew 12, verse 22, that Jesus performed a miracle, specifically of a demon-oppressed man that was blind and mute. And immediately the people was thinking this is a messianic miracle. So back to chapter 11, Jesus is telling John of these six miracles because two of them actually possess messianic miracles and the other has not even been performed yet, but it is going to be performed. So all these miracles point to the deity of Jesus Christ. So when we ask the question, who is Jesus, and we look at the deeds of him, we look at the teaching, we see that there is, there is a divine nature within himself. So by Jesus' deeds, they point to his deity. So the second point we also need to see is that John the Baptist points to Jesus' deity. Even though he was asking the question, are you the one? But if we look in Matthew chapter 11, verse 7, and we're going to read the next to, to verse 15. <clears throat> As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? 
What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, these those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written. Behold, I will send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. <clears throat> Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. No one who is at least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So John the Baptist's ministry consisted of, as we mentioned before, calling out the sin of those that were around him, pointing people to Jesus. And he had a significant ministry, and he would baptize people who would believe, who were making commitments to God, as he was pointing to the Messiah that would soon come. Which I want to, I wouldn't be a good good Baptist if I didn't mention this, but uh, John the Baptist, uh, the, the word um, for Baptist is a transliterated word, uh, that we get into English. It is, is baptizo, uh, is the Greek word, and it literally means to immerse. Uh, so as John was doing this, they actually referred to him as John the Immerser. Uh, so as John was baptizing, he was fully immersing uh, the people as it, as it symbolized the death of, and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, this was beforehand, and how John the Baptist be, uh, began baptizing before the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, I, I, don't, I don't have that answer. But what we see is a beautiful picture of what symbolizes Christianity. And we know that Jesus himself was baptized. And it points us to the symbol and it brings us into a public profession that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And we take on the identity with Christ as we ourselves have been buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. But I want us to look quickly at uh, verses 7 and 9. And as the disciples of of John were, were leaving, Jesus still had these people in front of him, this crowd. And so he would talk to them and he expressed with them about the ministry of John because all of more than likely the way the the text reads more than likely the majority of them had at least heard John preaching 
So Jesus was talking about, why did you go out there? Why did you go to listen to him? There was a draw to them. It wasn't to go see a reed shaken by the wind. They went out to see a man, a prophet. And Jesus says, but he is more than just a prophet. And Jesus quotes Malachi 3 verse 1. And he said, behold, and this is in verse um, verse 10. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. So in Malachi chapter 3, verse 11, and then later on, I, I believe it's uh, the, the last part of, of Malachi in uh, chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, um, <clears throat> we get a picture of the, that the prophet Elijah or someone like the prophet Elijah would be coming to announce and to proclaim to the people that Jesus or that the Messiah the chosen one, the anointed one. And that's what Messiah means is the anointed one. Uh, That's what we get Christ from. Christ is also the anointed one. Uh, The Messiah is the Hebrew and the Christ is the Greek version of the anointed one. And the John's ministry was to point that the anointed one would be coming soon. And we see in in Malachi chapter three, verse one, that he would that the the Elijah would be calling the people to repent, calling people to himself, pointing people to the coming Messiah. So the fact that John the Baptist was there preaching, and it points to Jesus that Jesus is the Son of God. The ministry of John the Baptist points to the deity of Christ. So who is Christ? He is the Son of God. And we have so much just in these few verses that point to the ministry and the deity of Jesus Christ. Now, to finish off in this section, let's look in in, uh, verse 16 and 19. But who shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither casting nor drinking, excuse me, neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. So we see a distraction from the deity of Jesus. And this distraction came as from the generation. And 
one thing we need to be careful of is that if we can get into a routine of church and that church needs to be a certain way, that our lives and religion should be a certain way, uh, as a result, it can turn into arguments. And we see the Pharisees become so legalistic that they judge the people unjustly. And they fell into a workspace religion and their preferences were pronounced and more than the, the, the scriptures. So they rejected the philosophy of Jesus. They rejected the theology of Jesus. And they, we ended up seeing that they would push for the death of Jesus, all because they had this legalistic understanding of, of how a, a Jewish person was supposed to live. But it's important that Jesus points out and says, This generation is like children sitting in the marketplace calling to be to, to playlessness or to calling for playmates. So what he is making a, a, a connection with is that Jesus is saying, You're basically kids in the playground that are playing by their own rules. They have become so infatuated with their own legalism that they have forgotten who God is and his commands. They have added so much more that God did not uh, add in to people, uh, add in as a, as a command. <clears throat> in, the, in the poem in verse 17, it's like kids playing in a park. Uh, they're playing with an imaginary fl uh, flute and all the other kids are playing with it, but Jesus and John are not. Uh, they are singing a dirge, which is like a funeral song, uh, is a lament. And Jesus and John are not participating because it is not real. So Jesus and John are not playing along with their legalism, their made-up game. And Jesus is saying, this is what's wrong with this generation. It is a distraction. And people can fall into it and forget about the grace of God. And they are so worried about doing a legalistic action to receive the benefit, to receive something back for what they have done and they are blaming Jesus, blaming John. And they are not satisfied, as we see in verse um, 18. They are not satisfied with John because he basically lives a life of abstinence. He abstains from certain foods and certain drinks. But they say he has a demon. What man does this? And then they look at Jesus, who does not abstain. And then they say, well, he's a glutton and a drunkard. Look at the company he keeps, for goodness sake. You know, you can't not make legalistic people happy. You cannot make people happy, especially if you call them out on their sin. And that's exactly what Jesus and John did. So when we share the gospel and call people out on their sin, we need for Jesus uh, 
the the need for Jesus, there are always two decisions that must be made. One is either to reject, even if down the road they accept, they first reject that Jesus is their Lord and Savior. And second is to accept. And throughout this chapter, we see the deeds of Jesus points to him as the Son of God. The deeds of John point to him, point to Jesus as the Son of God. You can either accept it or you can deny it, but there is no middle ground. There's only two options. And these are the two options that are put before us in this, in this chapter. <coughs> Excuse me. And in this portion of Scripture... We begin with Jesus' deeds, and we will end with Jesus' deeds. Look at the last part of verse 19. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Wisdom is justified by her deeds. We have the benefit of looking back at this point. We see the wisdom of that, that Jesus and his, his life and ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven. We see how this relates to God's word and how it basically the whole Bible itself comes together for a purpose and it shows us the supreme, the, the salvation that we get from Jesus Christ and the wisdom in Jesus Christ as the Son of God is justified by the deeds of Christ. As we looked at earlier, the six prophecies, the six miracles of Jesus, we see how that interacted with um, with the wisdom of God and the 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 that God has sent his son for the salvation of the world, for those that call upon his name. But we also see in that this little sentence also propels us into the next few um, sections of the scripture. As we, as we, as you will see in the, in the coming next week, that you will see that there is uh, the unrepentant cities and those that take on the yoke of Christ. We see the the two decisions that they make. They can either accept Jesus or they reject Jesus. And we see nine, verse 19, the end, kind of propelling us into these. And I won't get into, into any further because you will hear it next week but it can it it is a cohesiveness between in chapter 11 but we have heard the miracles of Jesus that point to his deity we have seen the the ministry of John the Baptist that caused people uh to repent of their sins and we see that they were pushed back by the the generation and all this we see the we ask the question who is jesus and we see jesus christ is the son of god 
as we read throughout the all of Scripture and the rest of of uh, Jesus' life and ministering into Acts and into uh, extra-biblical um, books, we understand that all of his disciples, minus one, died a martyr's death. Because they believed, they didn't see any type of of manipulation. They didn't see anything other than the Son of God. Those that were close to him were willing to die because of what Jesus has done for us. They were willing to die because Jesus died for us. They were willing to die because it is the truth. If Jesus was not the Son of God, they would have saw sin in his life. They would have saw different things. And I would I would highly doubt that they would die themselves for someone that was a fraud. But Jesus is the Son of God. And they died for him. They lived their lives on mission because of who Jesus is. Church, may we live, may we have this conviction within ourselves that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for our sins, he cleansed us from all of our unrighteousness, and he has given us this opportunity today to be about his business to live a holy life because of his sacrifice. To go and share the gospel with people that do not have hope, people that are scared, people that need a savior. We have the answer for them. They might not be asking, who is Jesus? They might be asking, is there even a God? Let us, armed with the word of God, powered by the Holy Spirit, go and tell other people about Jesus. And this morning, I don't know your situation. I don't know what you have dealt with in this past week. I don't know uh, your spiritual situation at the moment. But what I do ask for you to do is spend a little time reflecting on these words calling out to God, calling out to Jesus, seeking his wisdom and his truth. And may God bless us as we seek to worship him and to serve him with all that we have. Let's pray. Father, as we hear your word, as we reflect on what you have spoken I pray that your spirit will come and minister to our souls. Help us to rightly apply this passage to our lives. Help us to see that you are the Son of God. Help us to see and remove all doubts that we may have. May we be not like that generation that you spoke of but may we be the generation of believers that live sacrificially all out for your gospel, 
for your love, for your grace and your mercy has given us far beyond anything that we could ever, ever imagine. And Lord, I pray this and I pray over Fellowship Joshua, God, and I pray that you would speak to each and every one of us and put a desire to live holy and to share with others about your goodness and your grace. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.